Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I was in a Starbucks in Wauwatosa crying over my keyboard because I couldn't move my fingers because they were so cold. This state sometimes. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. We are investigative reporters breaking down the big stories, what it took to get them, taking you behind the scenes. It's the stuff we couldn't tell you on TV. On this episode, Taking a Shot, the investigation that revealed a bartending school is not following through on its promises. Hello, everyone. I'm Brian Polson here with Jenna Sachs. Hello. And Amanda St. Hilaire. Hi. So have you ever thought about finding work as a bartender well, I have a story about this real quick. I don't want to. You things. always I, have a I, story. I was asked to be a celebrity bartender once when I was in Kansas City, and I thought they would give me some instruction, like, "Oh, we'll teach you how to mix a few basic drinks, and this is for charity." <laughs> they just set me up at a bar on a Saturday night and said, "Go!" And customers came in, and they didn't know I was a celebrity because I was hardly on the air. Oh no! And so, so they just thought I was a, ever. They thought I was a really <laughs> bad bartender, which I was. <laughs> And, and they were asking for real drinks? They were asking for real drinks, and I didn't know half of these drinks or how to make them. I knew what they were, but I didn't know how to mix them. And so I was so frustrated with the way this was planned. We were supposed to give out um, mugs for the television station at the time. This was not here in Milwaukee. Um, and uh, that I took one of the mugs for myself and said, well, I'm keeping this as payment <laughs> for my embarrassment. You are yes. a rebel. A similar thing happened so, to me, but instead of making the drinks, I just stood there and talked to people. So... I think everyone you was better off. You talk to people shocking. Can't I believe it. But I have never been through any kind of bartending school. Maybe I should be through a bartending school. But Contact Six has gotten several complaints over the years about one particular bartending school in West Dallas. Former students told Jenna their classes were being canceled, they never received completion certificates, and they couldn't get refunds. And those were just a few of the complaints, Jenna. They were. We did our first interview with a retired teacher named Gary Kalkoff. Gary likes to mix drinks as a hobby, and he thought bartending would be a fun part-time job over the winter. But Gary didn't want to work in a dive bar. He wanted to work someplace really nice where he could maybe make some fancy drinks. So he signed up for classes at the Bartending Academy, and he paid $400 for a two-week course. But when he showed up for class, he had this interaction with a school employee. He looked at me and asked, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm here for class. And uh, he said, well, didn't anyone contact you because there is no class? That was in January. Class was rescheduled for March, and that didn't work with Gary's schedule, so he asked for a refund. And the owner of the bartending academy, Tobias Chase, agreed to give him that refund. It seems like this should be an open and shut case, but it wasn't. He said all the right things, but he, he never followed through, and... He kept on putting me off and putting me off. After that, it took about five months, and Gary, having both Contact Six and a lawyer, reach out to the Bartending Academy to finally get his refund. But Gary wasn't the only student you interviewed for this story. You also talked to someone who actually took classes and 
also wasn't happy. Right. I interviewed Kamaya Williams. She's a young mom who paid $300 for a two-week course. She described the classes as disorganized. Kamaya says there were instructor changes and frequent cancellations at the last minute. She said she would be on her way to class and get that text message saying it wasn't going to happen. She says four weeks after her two-week course began, she'd only attended six classes. So the school's the whole purpose is obviously to teach you to mix various kinds of drinks and and mixology. Is that the term for this? Um, yes, it's a mixology school. So is that something that to get a job as a bartender, do you need to have some sort of certification in mixology or, or what? Interestingly, you don't need a certificate in mixology to be a bartender in Wisconsin. It might help with your confidence behind the bar. It might help if you have no experience and you don't know a thing about mixing drinks to learn a few skills, uh, but you don't need it. What you need in Wisconsin is to pass a responsible beverage server training course in many cases. At any bar, there has to be at least one person with that training working behind the bar who can close up at the end of the night. So not not everybody has to have it, but at least one person there. And then you need a bartender's license, which is $75 at the city clerk's office. Does this course teach anything about that responsible uh, bartending stuff? Interestingly, it does not. It actually doesn't give you any of the certification you need. So you get these complaints. What's the first step you take to investigate this issue and see what's going on? Well, we've been getting complaints about this school for a while now. We've got complaints that go back several years because the school's been around uh, for more than a dozen years. Uh, So I've been in contact with people for years about this, and we've been working to get them refunds behind the scenes. But we finally decided to move forward with it because there were so many of them. And Mandy, you and I had talked previously. I didn't want to do this story when I first set it up a year ago because a competitor did it. And I felt like the information was out there. And we try to always have our information be new, and we want original reporting. But we decided this time that we had more information to share. We had additional interviews. We had additional facts to share. We, we felt like we had enough to move forward with something that was original and offered something different. And it was a, I think it was a strong story. We had a, two people in it who were angry with the school. We had a lot of different complaints to both Contact 6 and the state to back it up. And we had complaints also with the BBB. So we knew that there was a trend here. What made this story, though, in watching it, for anyone who hasn't seen it, you've got to go watch it on our website, fox6now.com. is is when you, you want to talk to the owner and you try to go in for one of these unscheduled interviews at the Bartending Academy, hoping to meet Tobias, the owner, and it's not him. But the person you find is just, it ends up being a great interview, unexpectedly so. Well, it makes sense that we met an instructor who hadn't been there very long, because that lined up with what we've been told, that they have a lot of turnover they cycle in their through staff. People quickly. Yes. So he was on his fourth day on the job. And, and here Jenna Sack shows up with a camera. Right, exactly. So we walked in. He didn't want to talk to us at first, uh, but over time we had more conversations with him off air and he agreed to do an on-camera interview. So and this he, didn't happen. This It wasn't like you walked in and then he stepped outside and did the interview minutes later. Well, what happened is we walked in with the camera rolling and I approached him and started asking questions and he did the hold up the hand to the lens thing. He didn't want to talk to Which us. Which is what you do on the fourth day on the job when a TV camera comes in the business. I think that's natural. Right. And eventually I realized that conversation wasn't really productive and he'd only been there four days. So we went outside and we were getting exterior shots of the building. He came outside, wanted to talk some more. And I think once he got more comfortable with me, he was comfortable going on camera talking about the issues he'd already been seeing. So it was that same visit? It was the same day. He came outside. I talked to him maybe 15 minutes after the first time I approached him. And 
And he confirmed what I'd heard. He said, I'm still hearing complaints from students that they're having trouble getting a class rolling because of cancellations. I knew that there were instructor changes because he hadn't been there very long. And he had mentioned price differences as well. We had one person in our story who paid $400 for a class and someone else who paid $300 for the same class. So he basically bolstered a lot of the arguments I've been told. So you had a current employee speaking on the record, on camera, telling you, hey, there are issues here. Right. That doesn't happen that often. So we were we were grateful to talk to him and for his honesty and willingness to talk about it. Uh, but I, I don't know if he still works there, but he wanted to stay there. He had the idea of turning the place around. He said, I have experience at other bartending schools. Maybe I could turn this place around and make it better. So we'll see if that happens. I know, I, oh, go ahead, Amanda. I know we talk about this a lot on this podcast, but I, I do want to emphasize your first move isn't to just walk in somewhere with a camera. So what got you to that point? I wanted to talk to the owner, Tobias Chase. And in the past, we've dealt with him off air for other complaints we've wanted resolved for the Contact 6 process. We've mentioned before a lot of our complaints we deal with never go on air. And in the past, he's been receptive and he has addressed some complaints. He's refunded people. He's given them completion certificates that were missing. Uh, But he wouldn't go on camera for this story. I thought he was going to for a while because we were emailing back and forth. And I said, I would like to come in, do an interview with you about these complaints. I'd like to see the facility and I'd like to call references. If you have people that will speak positively about your program, I'll include that in the story. And he seemed on board with that in our emails. And then I got a call one day from someone who said she was his lawyer and there was going to be no statement, no comment, nothing we had discussed for this story. Sounds very similar to his initial uh, promise that, yeah, there's going to be a refund, no problem, but then over time it just doesn't materialize. So you were left with no choice at that point but to go in and try to talk to him. I felt like if I wanted some sort of representation of that side of the story, I had to go there and I wanted to see it for myself. And I was hoping he was going to be there, but I found this instructor who was also helpful to the story, I think. So I I would have liked to talk to Tobias Chase. I actually took the step of including a portion of one of his emails to me in the past to represent his side of the story. I put it in a graphic saying, you know, we've had 6,000 students come through our doors over, I think, 16 years, he said, and we run a reputable, you know, a, a company. And that's what we were, that's all we had from him. And he didn't even offer that for the story. I just pulled that from something he'd sent me in the past, which well, I had the A couple right of things do. strike me about this, and I was some, something I wasn't clear on. You had the, the, the guy who goes in who wants to get, you know, the, this training um, and the January class is canceled to be rescheduled for March. That's, That's not like rescheduled for next Tuesday. That's two months later. What's going on that they couldn't do the same class for two whole months? Do they not have any instructors? I don't have any answer for that. All I know is that when we contacted him about Gary, he agreed that he should get a refund. And he sped up that process, and Tobias Chase did give him a refund. What's striking I don't is they're, know. They're That's a money. huge gap of time. If he wanted to do it for the winter, which is what Gary wanted, uh, he needed to take that class at the moment he wanted to. By the time March rolls around, he's getting ready to umpire, you know, Little League Sports, which is his other part-time job, and he wouldn't have time for bartending well, anymore. And I'm guessing that the sell of this place is that will help you get a job in the bartending industry. And if you're trying to get a job, you don't want a job two, three, four months from now. You want a job as soon as possible. Well, that's another interesting point because on their website, it says that they help people find jobs. They said they have a placement rate of over 90%. The BBB gives them an F rating, partly because they have seven unanswered complaints, but also partly because the BBB pointed out concerns with advertising claims, including placement rates, um, whether they're able to actually find people 
jobs. And they pointed out that there are websites out there that say that this program is approved by the Wisconsin Educational Approval Board. And I checked with that board and they don't approve this program. It doesn't mean that they're not able to operate, but it doesn't it means they're not overseen by anybody like these websites say. So that's factoring into their F rating with the BBB. And you got more complaints about them after your story aired. We did. Uh, we've gotten a couple emails. After the promotion started airing, actually, we started getting emails, people saying they'd had problems. A lot of them sounded similar to stories we'd already heard. You know, I, the classes were canceled a lot, and there were instructor changes, and they were unorganized. And then in the comments section beneath the story when it was posted on Facebook, more people were saying that they'd had bad experiences. So they've been operating this way for years. From what you've seen, do you think there will be any changes? Does it look like there will be more stories about this in the future? You never know. I know that they have at least one employee there who wants to see it get better over there. Uh, I feel like I'd have a clear answer to that question if I could actually talk to Tobias Chase and get those words from him. They've made it quite a while, and there were people commenting on Facebook and online saying they took the class 10 years ago and they had problems with it then. So obviously they've managed to make it this far, but I have to wonder with the internet out there, you can get a mixology course online. That's what Kamaya eventually did. She took a course online in a few hours, and you can get that... um, uh, responsible beverage training server uh, work online as well. So you c- when you can find this information online versus going in and actually having to take the classes, you can see why a business might struggle because of well. And, and I, I don't have any experience with the bartending academy, so I, I can only speak to what I know. I have friends who own bars and are bartenders, and they have, when they hear of bartending schools like this, not this one in particular, but they'll kind of scoff at that a little bit. I think within the industry sometimes it's like, oh, you went to bartending school. Okay, well, I'm still going to have to teach you the ropes because you, you just got to know the business. And that may or may not be enough to teach you what you need to know. Right. And it would be one thing if they were funneling people into desirable jobs afterwards, but we don't have any evidence that they are. And a lot of bartenders will say it's all about experience. If you can do a good job behind the bar, it doesn't matter if you went to a school or if you worked at you know, a corner place somewhere. If you can make a good drink, you can make a good drink. Well, Tobias, if you're listening, I'd Jenna still, like still to wants talk to talk to you. to you. Offer still stands. You know where to find us. <laughs> That would be the dinner bell, which means it's time for our dinner party question. This is a weekly segment where we answer questions we most often get asked as journalists at parties or events or while we're out and about. Here's the catch. Of course, we have no idea what the question is, and there are a few envelopes left in front of me. Send us more questions, folks. I'm going to pick one of these three at random, and uh, here we go. I think when there's three, you always pick the middle one, right? Yeah. Is that, I mean, it seems like... It makes it the most random. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe that one's the obvious one. I think you're overthinking it. This is what you wanted me to pick, isn't it? Okay. What's the most challenging story you've covered? And since I read the question, I don't have to start. I think one of you guys has to start because we always have to think of these Do we get thinking time? I, oh gosh. I remember covering a march. It might have been, it was related to the shooting of a man in Milwaukee and there were large protests and there was a march that was going on at the time and the logistics of following 
um, a group that's marching through the streets was more difficult then because we didn't have the backpack live shots that worked as well as they do now. So it was me and a photographer trying to chase and keep up with this group and set up shots so that we could go live and then catch up with them again and also not miss what was going on. At one point, they walked into a mall downtown and I completely lost them and I had to find them back again. So that was just challenging logistically, trying to keep up with the group and get on air and actually know what was going on. And I remember literally running to make my deadline. At one point, we were literally running through the streets trying to get to where we needed to be to make our next hit. So that was difficult and challenging physically and just logistically. Amanda, what comes to mind? My turn. It's because I made it your turn. Yeah. Because I'm still thinking too. Yeah. A few years ago, I did a story about some questionable towing practices. A, what? A relationship. Who would do that? I know, right? That's such a random That's the first topic. story I saw of yours, in fact, because when it was on your uh, resume reel it was. for Fox 6 News. It was. So that story took more than a year to put together. And essentially, the allegation was, it started with one police department, but soon we figured out it was two had a, one of their buddies ran a towing company. And because of that relationship, the allegation was that police were forcing drivers to use this towing company. So drivers weren't being allowed to call AAA or whatever they wanted to use. Uh, police said this company has to do it. And then they were charging high fees, $500 for a one mile tow, things like that. So this was in Pennsylvania. So the laws were different than they are here. There was no cap on towing charges. But we could not just have a story saying, hey, a bunch of people are saying this. We needed proof. The police departments weren't turning over records. It was a a difficult battle. Eventually, we got some records to piece some things together. We found out that One of the police departments had been saying that they didn't have any records. Turns out they did, and we found that. We ended up in court with the police department because we were fighting for those records, and they kept appealing it and saying they didn't have it. It was this whole layered thing, but finally we had enough between sources in the police department, between interviews with drivers, and these documents to definitively say, hey, this is what's happening. So... It was challenging just in terms of the process of putting that together, the frustration of how long it was taking. Anytime you have a public records battle, it can take a long time. But they ended up showing something valuable, and eventually at least one of the municipalities changed their towing practices. It's always hard to identify a superlative for anything. What's the most anything? Um, all So many of our stories are challenging for so many different reasons. Mm-hmm. It might be the battle for open records. It might be the the attempts to track down the person who you really need to ask the questions of. Um, it might sometimes be the internal battle with getting approval to do the story um, or convincing y- your superiors that it's it's the one. And, and that's less of a problem now. And I think thankfully, and I'm not just saying this because executive producer Leanne's in the room, but she's right there with us communicating every day and has the ear of the people who need to make the decisions. There were times here where there was a little more separation between the decision makers and and the investigative unit. And so it was tougher to sell a story that might be challenging. 
But all this is generic. You want to hear a specific one, right? I'm stalling. Yes, I'm stalling, stalling for time. No, we can the, see I, I your wheels turning. One of, one of the most challenging stories for me, because you want results um, when you know results are called for, uh, was a, a story we did. We, we It ended up getting the title of a drug doctors. And I, I was never wild about the title, but sometimes alliteration wins over. Um, but what these were, it, it, we're in an environment now where it's well known worldwide, the opioid crisis. And, and we're seeing it in, in all of the uh, heroin overdoses and now methamphetamines and other things. But so much of this started with prescription painkillers. And back in the early to mid-2000s, I was getting tips about uh, a couple of doctors in River West at a clinic called the River West Clinic, where uh, I was being told not only by patients who had left that clinic, but by law enforcement sources that the doctors there were essentially running a cash-for-pills clinic. And they had, uh, a law enforcement source had given me a lot of materials that showed what was going on in this clinic. And, and the frustration from the police standpoint was they were putting together all of this great information and it didn't go anywhere with the district attorney's office. And it, it, the FBI got involved at one point and raided this clinic as we were several stories in uh, to, to covering this. But doctors seemed to be untouchable. And these particular doctors, Robert Wetzler and Mark Smith, both had a history of discipline for mishandling these prescription painkillers and uh, for, at times, essentially selling them for cash, uh, using pre-signed prescription pads to get around limitations on one doctor's license. Uh, the other one would write, would leave the pad out, and, and the one who was limited would write the prescriptions. We did so many of these stories over the course of time, uh, eventually the state really didn't have a whole lot of choice. There was, I think, pressure on the state to finally take this seriously. And they uh, took some action against the primary doctor, Robert Wetzler. And they required him, they, they issued an order that essentially was unusual because it preemptively suspended his license during the investigative process. And they said, ultimately, that he needed to go back. And if he was going to keep his medical license, they determined he was so incompetent that he would need to take three years of schooling just to get to a level where he was competent to practice. That's and comforting. We wanted to see the report that drew the, that that conclusion was drawn from. And Dr. Wetzler fought our attempts to get that report. It became a battle in, uh, in the courts and, and the Court of Appeals over whether or not that record could be released to us, and ultimately it was. After all of that time, there were never any criminal charges filed against either one of the doctors. And over the course of our doing several stories, I had probably a, a spreadsheet. You guys know I keep spreadsheets, right? 60 no. or 70 patients or former patients of this clinic had come to me. And many of them were drug addicts. And they said, these doctors got me hooked. These doctors got me hooked, and now I have a problem. And that's not to say that those people didn't have their own role in this. They certainly probably in many cases did. But there was a pattern here of behavior. And what we would have that is, many people saying the same thing. What would happen is these individuals would either die. We found that actually this clinic was connected in some way to, I think it was 16 overdose deaths on prescription opioids. The, the people who died had gotten their prescriptions from either Wetzler or Smith um, or both combined. But these people would get arrested for selling pills on the street or they would be arrested for possession of certain things. Nothing ever happened to the doctors. And, and to this day, I don't know of very many doctors who have been held criminally responsible 
for what we now know is a nationwide problem. And I really look back at that as being challenging because we did so many stories in hopes of, of, of just raising awareness that the problem starts with pill mills like this. And, and you create addicts and they're spreading drugs all over the street. The pills have to get there somehow. And certainly the people who are abusing them are responsible. But there is also responsibility at times on the front end of that, the prescribers. And uh, that was a story that I, after all these years, uh, ultimately Dr. Wetzler's license was revoked. He's not practicing medicine, and that was good for protection of the public. Um, but there's a bigger issue. But there was no play. criminal responsibility, and there were certainly plenty of people, including law enforcement, who felt there should be. I will add, this is a much simpler challenge that we'd regularly face, but I would say some of the hardest stories I've ever covered have been in cold weather in Wisconsin. <laughs> oh, yeah. gosh, yeah. I can think of one story where my hands froze that night when I was covering it. And when I was trying to type my script, my fingers were thawing out, and they felt like they were on... <laughs> fire and they were going to explode, you know, like that feeling. That sounds like the beginning of frostbite. It was. And I couldn't type my script and I was crying as I typed my script less than an hour from my <laughs> deadline. Is, sorry, I don't mean to laugh. Because my hands There's wouldn't such a work. There's a picture of you using claws at tears I'm screaming out of your claw face. hands right now to show how I was typing on the keyboard. It, I was in a Starbucks in Wauwatosa crying over my keyboard because I couldn't move my fingers because they were so cold. This state Sometimes, I swear. You know there is someone who was at that Starbucks that night who still tells that story. In my Fox 6 jacket. <laughs> yeah. I saw the girl from Fox 6 and her hands were frozen and she was crying as she typed on a laptop. The tears froze halfway oh. down her face. We suffer for our job sometimes. Oh, wow. Anytime it's, oh gosh, January, February doing this job is hard. Well, we're coming up on that. Great. So can't wait. Okay, as I look in front of me, there are two envelopes left, which means we need more dinner party questions, people. I know we have people who listen to this show. We want you to email us. We want your ideas. What do you want to ask? What do you want to know? It should be probably somehow journalism related, but it doesn't have to be. If you want to know when else we've cried at work, ask us that. (laughs) I'm sure we have stories. Um, But if you have a question or of any kind for the Open Record team, let us know. Shoot us an email at theinvestigators at fox6now.com. That is T-H-E investigators all together at fox6now.com. And thank you for listening to Open Record. We would also, of course, like to thank the people behind the scenes making this podcast happen. Executive, well, I almost called him executive producer Pete. He just got an upgrade. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, and executive producer Leanne Watson. If you enjoy listening, please let us know. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to check out Fox 6's other podcasts, Definitely Milwaukee with Carl Deffenbaugh. And if you want more Open Record, just head to our website, fox6now.com. 